There was no evidence that governor, that, that uh, Mr. Noriega was involved in drugs, no hard evidence until we indicted him. Does the NSA collect any type of data at all on millions or hundreds of millions of Americans? No, sir. It does not. Not wittingly. Have we ever tried to meddle in other countries' elections? Oh, probably, but uh, it was for the good of the system. Oh, we don't mess around other people's well, elections, Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Rackets Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sadie. On this podcast, we cover a number of different topics, such as organized crime, crony capitalism, very many facets of, of rackets, and we, we often cover many issues uh, related to the criminal justice system. And I, I really have the perfect guest um, tonight. His name's Richard Bronson. He is the CEO of a company known as 70 Million Jobs, which is the first for-profit recruitment company for people with criminal records. Uh, welcome to the show, Richard. Thank you so much for having me. Nice to be here. I was just kind of hoping uh, just to start off, you could maybe give you know, the audience a, a, little bit, a little bit of info about your background and, and why you started the company. Sure. Um, I now live in Los Angeles, but I grew up in New York. And like many people in New York who are after fame and fortune, I found myself working on Wall Street. Uh, I worked at a number of very large investment banking firms. And I did very, very well. I made a lot of money. Uh, but at a certain point, I decided I had enough of it. Uh, but I had a friend who convinced me to come visit where he was working at a small brokerage firm lo located on Long Island, which had the name Stratton Oakmont. That name may sound familiar to some of your listeners because that is the infamous Wolf of Wall Street firm from the Martin Scorsese film of Wolf of Wall Street. So I was there and I saw all these young guys mostly, and they weren't particularly educated or particularly special in any way, and yet they were making an enormous amount of money, an ungodly amount of money. And I just saw that and I said, well, you know, I know what I'm doing, and I've got a college education, and if they're making this kind of money, I could do a lot better. So I decided to work there, and I did very well there, and I eventually became a partner at the firm. Um, everybody asks me, was the film accurate? And in general, yeah. I mean, it was wild. <laughs> we had a lot of fun. Uh, we uh, took a lot of drugs. We spent a lot of money. We took private planes. We went out with girls who were way out of our league. We gambled like lunatics and uh, just had the greatest time together. Um, I knew it was wrong. The other guys there may believe it wasn't wrong because they didn't really know any better. Uh, I eventually left that firm and I moved down to Florida where I uh, launched my own firm, which was very much modeled on that firm. And I had spectacular success with that. Uh, I ended up growing the firm to about 500 employees around the country. We had several offices. We were doing about $100 million in annual revenue. Unfortunately, some of what we were doing, again, fell outside the law. And I would love to say that it was a mistake, 
or it was someone else, or I didn't even know, but uh, that would be a lie. I knew full well what I was doing. Um, I was greedy. I was stupid. I was impatient, and I was rightfully punished for the whole thing. Um, I ended up receiving a sentence of two years in federal prison. The prison sentence was relatively light because uh, my partner and I, prior to being even arrested, we paid everybody back because we knew that the heat was on. We knew it was just a question of time before, uh, you know, the authorities would come knocking on our door. And we, you know, not only thought, well, this is the right thing to do uh, because we were feeling guilty, but it was also, we figured, the smart thing to do. And in retrospect, I'm sure it was. Um, prior to going away to prison, after we, I paid everybody back and paid just ridiculous millions and millions of dollars in fines and settlements and penalties and lawyers' bills, whatever I had left, and I still had a lot left, um, I gave away to charity because I was just so sick of myself and I was sick of money and what it had done to me. Um, so I went away to prison for two years. And when I got out, um, I was essentially destitute and homeless. Um, and it's an old story, you know, your friends disappear and all that kind of stuff. You know, I had that, you know, but it's a tired story. There was nothing special about me. I was just an idiot who got in trouble and paid the price for it rightfully. Uh, it took me a long time, though, to get back on my feet. Um, I... I just didn't know what I should do with myself. Uh, I wasn't even sure if my success had anything to do with me or was it purely because I was breaking the law. You know, my confidence was, was, was just destroyed. Um, it was a very, very difficult time for me. But as bad as it was, you know, I really couldn't help but think about the guys that I was in prison with who were primarily young guys, men of color, who probably had barely completed high school, you know, what would they, what was their future like right. if it was as tough this way with me? But I was lucky. I ended up finding uh, out and becoming involved and becoming hired uh, by a nonprofit organization called Defy Ventures, D-E-F-Y Ventures. And they have got uh, kind of offices around the country, and their whole thing is to train people in and out of prison on entrepreneurialism, so theoretically they can start their own job and be in control of their economic destiny. So I did that for a while. It was very, very satisfying work. I felt finally I was doing some good rather than hurting people. But I had an idea while I was there, and that was that the whole reentry space in general had been handled the same way for decades by all these well-meaning um, local nonprofits and community organizations, but but in the aggregate, they weren't getting that much done. You know, they weren't accomplishing that much. Um, unemployment among the formerly incarcerated right now has never been higher. Uh, believe it or not, no population in this country has ever had a higher level of unemployment in this country, and that includes during the Great Depression then today, those who have criminal records, it's around 30% unemployment. Um, and unemployment not only means that people can't put food on the table for themselves and their family, 
but typically it means that they're going to be rearrested. It's almost a lock that they will be rearrested um, very soon after being released unless they get a job quickly. That's recidivism, and recidivism in this country, they say it has an economic cost alone of $160 billion, but, you know, it's destroyed lives and families and communities. Um, so I felt like, you know something, I bet I can do better if I could pursue this as a for-profit venture versus non-profit. I also thought that I bet I could make a lot of money doing it too. Um, I don't happen to think there's anything wrong with doing good work and doing well. Um, I think that's actually, you're seeing more and more of it. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit different, but you know, the bottom line was I was rich once, uh, now I'm poor and I'd much rather be rich. <laughs> and if I could, and if I could do it by saving lives and helping people, like what, you know, what could possibly be better than that? So I left my work in the nonprofit space and I launched 70 million jobs in New York. And almost immediately the city of Los Angeles asked for my help to partner with them because they have a big problem with unemployment among their formerly incarcerated. Um, and then from there, um, Y Combinator, which is the preeminent uh, startup accelerator program in the world. Uh, it's a program that Reddit and Airbnb and Dropbox, you know, lots and lots of very successful unicorn startups went through and they asked me to join, which was pretty amazing. And I went through that. I learned a lot. And then after that, I was successful in raising venture capital money to really start building a business. So uh, I stuck around in San Francisco and up until a couple of days ago, uh, that's where we were for the last two years, uh, but I decided to move the team down to Los Angeles where we are. But anyway, that's a long answer to your question, but that's how we came to launching 70 million jobs. And if you don't mind just telling me the significance behind the, the title of the company. Sure. There are 70 million Americans who have some kind of criminal record, um, although there are people who think the number might be 100 million. 70 million, though, represents about one in three adults. And that's a figure that blows people's minds. Because yeah. one in, you know, you're, you're with a couple of friends, you know, one of that means one of you statistically has a record. Uh, when I'm with my friends, it's more than one in three, of course, <laughs> but that's, that's the crowd that I hang out with. But um, the fact that so many people have records, um, you know, really has had a lot to do with how attitudes are changing quickly towards those people, you know, who were formerly incarcerated, where it used to be, you know, a nice person from a nice family, he, he or she didn't know people who were in prison. That's where, you know, animals and rapists and terrible people went. But now, you know, uh, almost every, if, if you weren't directly affected by the criminal justice system, chances are you know somebody or have a relative who has. Sure. And as a result, when it's no longer us versus them or, you know, they're all animals, but when you start knowing some of the people and you know that they're not animals, they made a stupid decision, they did something wrong, they were young, you know, I mean, who among us hasn't screwed up, truly? I mean, I know a lot of people who are in prison 
because they had that one extra glass of wine or that one extra beer got behind the wheel. Mm -hmm. We actually had a guy working for us. It's a terrible story. He's a great guy, a wonderful guy. He never did anything wrong. But he was, you know, right after college, he was drinking with his friends, got behind the wheel. He hit someone and actually ended up killing him. And, you know, this, I mean, it's a terrible, tragic story. You know, the family obviously was devastated. But this guy who was not a bad guy, not an immoral guy, not an animal, just a guy who did something really stupid, you know, for the rest of his life, he carries that around. And, and if you meet him, that baggage weighs so heavily on him, you know, you just know, you know, that he, he doesn't give himself a break, you know, one minute of the day, he's beating himself up over this terrible thing he did. And, you know, honestly, who among us hasn't done something that, you know, at the wrong time or place, it could have gone much worse. Who hasn't asked forgiveness? Who hasn't said, I'm sorry, I cheated on you or whatever? You know, it's like we're human beings. We're flawed. We're not perfect. Right. And, you know, in my observation in prison, I wasn't with drug lords or mass murderers or crazy people. I was just with guys who, you know, they wanted to earn a buck. They didn't really know how else to do it. This is how everybody else was doing it. So they did it, you know, and, you know, they weren't bad people. They were the same as anybody else get in my experience. So, so, you know, attitudes are changing very, very quickly. And what's happening in this country right now, I mean, uh, you know, they say it's better to be lucky than smart. Um, we, we launched the company and almost immediately unemployment in this country, other than people with records, but for everybody else, it hit an all time low for 50 years, right. unemployment. And that has meant that the largest employers out there, and that's who we work with, um, we work with them because they have so many jobs they need to fill, and they can they recognize they can't afford to ignore any large pool of labor. Mm -hmm. And these 70 million people, I mean, not all of them certainly, but tens of millions of them, you know, um, they're not seeing, uh, you know, that when they when they you know their normal job of recruiting um you know they're, they're new to them and we provide um these big companies the largest employers in the country we provide them with access to all this ignored talent and and frankly i had no idea when i launched the company if these big companies would be interested in people at criminal records i had no idea and i certainly didn't know if they'd be willing to pay for the privilege but it's it's turned out like just amazingly how much they they are willing you know part of it is great need on their part part of it is because they feel like it's the right thing to do you know hr we work with hr departments and people in hr are very kind and compassionate people they're people people that's i guess that's why they ended up doing what they do and you know they they agree you know who doesn't deserve a second chance um, but what's shocking to me and to a lot of people is that it turns out that people with records um, very often turn out to be the very best employees, um, even better than people without records, because they really need the job. They don't have options. So they have to make it work, and they're not about to screw things up, particularly if it, the job is okay. 
Um, right now, most companies experience terrible uh, turnover with their employees. They, you know, people don't have, feel any sense of loyalty to their companies anymore, so they jump around like crazy. My people, because a they feel they know that a company went out on a limb to hire them, so you know they return the favor with their loyalty, and they also know that there's probably not going to be easy for them to get another job. So again, stick around, make it work. And as a, res as a result, these people are heroes. They really make my job a lot easier than it could be. You mentioned um, untapped talent, and it, it kind of sparked something in my head. Again, I, now I've never been to prison, but one of the things that I've always been intrigued by are what I call the, the MacGyver types. Um, it's, you know, these types who can, they can make a tattoo machine out of a and it's just, just these really resourceful and just people have a right. lot of ingenuity. Um, I'm assuming you probably came across similar examples, you know, when, when you were, when you were in prison. Um, well, yeah, you come, you know, you come across handy people, you know, I mean, they're like anybody, you know, you have people who, who can do anything and then people like me who can't do anything. <laughs> um, I, I would say what you do find even more than MacGyver or being really handy is you find a lot of people who are really good entrepreneurs right. because many, many, many of the people in our prisons these days or that have been released over the last few years were there for drug-related offenses. And they weren't Colombian cartel people, but just someone who had a business and they had a few people that they employed and they had to work with supply and demand and security and you know, people and all the different issue logistics, you know, all deliveries, all the kind of things that businesses have to deal with. And there re a lot of them are really very, very successful at it and very good. Of course, they got caught eventually, right. but, you know, they were still, they were running successful businesses. And a lot of those skills are very translatable, right. you know, to, you know, just, can, you know, just move the hustle from doing something illegitimate to something legitimate. And I know people who have done very, very well because they have that gene. Mm -hmm. um, but we have, you know, um, a community of about 11 million people with records that we work with and that we help to get jobs, which is a huge number, obviously. And in 11 million, you get all types. You get doctors and lawyers, and you got people who are tech savvy. But, but the majority, the vast majority that we work with, you know, those other type of people, they'll figure out, you know, the MacGyvers, the great entrepreneurs, the people who know how to write code, they're going to figure it out. There's a demand for them. They'll do okay. They may not as do as well as they would have if they didn't have the record, but they'll do okay. Mm -hmm. We're more interested in helping the people who really do need some help because chances are they don't have any real, you know, marketable skills. They, they're not particularly well-educated necessarily, and yet they are terrific people and they want to work hard. They're looking for a home. Very often they're, you know, they're married, they have kids, you know, they're, they're serious about their reentry. They just need one less door slamming in their face. That's what we try to provide. And those people, we have, we have a great deal of success in reaching and helping out. That's, that's fantastic. One of the Thank things, you. And one of the things we were talking about before we started recording is I know you've got a, you've got to juggle a million different tasks. And again, you are the CEO, 
But I'm just kind of wondering, do you do you get to do have any of that sort of that that face to face time where you get to see some of these real success stories? Yeah, yeah, um, that, that's a great point that you make. Um, the business by design, um, I set it up so that um, we could really scale it. My goal is to get a million people jobs because we can get a million people jobs. We will have moved the needle. We will have accomplished a huge amount, far more than anyone's ever tried to do or, or accomplished. Um, and in order to get a million people jobs, it has to be very scalable, which is to say that doesn't leave a lot of room for human interaction, you know? <laughs> um, but having said that, it seems inevitable that we still have a lot of it with me and my team. And I'm very, very happy that we do because, because, you know, I don't want to ever forget that these are human beings and there are people who have emotions and needs and fears and, you know, we get every day hundreds of people call us and, you know, maybe they were big and tough on the street, you know, when they were doing slinging drugs or doing the wrong thing. But when it comes time to actually going after a traditional job, they're like a fish out of water and often they're just scared shitless. Right. They are very, very afraid and they're not used to being afraid and they stay away from situations that they're afraid um, but nonetheless, they know they have to go through it, you know, but they don't, you know, how do I upload my resume? Or I don't even know, how do I make a resume? And what do I say? And I just saw the guy and I don't know if he liked me or not. What should I do? And all this kind of stuff. And my team mostly, cause they're a lot nicer than I am. They really just, you know, they get very close to people and you can't help it because these people are really just so appreciative that someone is taking the trouble to just to be a little nice to them and to help them. They're just not used to that at all. Right. And, and when people are, you know, they'll actually listen, you know, my people will listen and hear what they're saying and understand it and, and not try to, you know, we don't charge them a penny. So we got no angle other than just to help them. We charge the companies to access this, you know, pool of talent and to advertise their jobs. But, the applicants themselves, they don't pay a penny, and they really appreciate the fact that, that we got no angle other than to help them. And, and so we end up, um, you know, having connection. But, but beyond that, we also, uh, I mentioned this nonprofit, Defy Ventures. So I was involved with, I was the director in New York of the organization. I'm, we're still involved with them. And that's when we really get to connect because there's lots of opportunities, you know, to have events and meet with them and to help them. And we go into prisons a lot. Um, you know, that's what we do in our spare time because it, it is so moving and it puts a face on the whole thing and it inspires us to just work hard and do what we're doing. I think it would also inspire them. Like if, I mean, if you're, if you're locked up just to know that there, there is a future yep. when you get outside. A hundred percent. And that, and that is the message that we try to, you know, leave them with is, you know, just hang in there, get through this. And there are people, and it's not just us because there's other, many other people who have, you know, who really do care and who have a heart. There's lots of, nonprofits and community organizations that are out there 
you know, as I said, they, they don't reach enough people, in my opinion, but the people they do, they really change their lives. And, and if you really are sincere, uh, and if you take ownership of your past and you say, you know, that was, that was me then, but it's not who I am now, you can get a lot of help. You can get a job. You can get people in your corner, you know, and, and, and you can get going with your life. So that's the message that we're always trying to leave people with. You know, it blows my mind. I only went to prison a couple of years. I mean, we work with murderers, people who've been down for 30, 40 years who come out. And these are people who never saw a mobile phone, much less a computer, you know. And just imagine, like, what they're, you know, it's kind of like Twilight Zone where you wake up and it's 40 or 30 years later, you know, and, you know, they still have, they have to get a job. You know, they, they're, you know, they're 50, 60 years old. What are they supposed to do? You know, so, or, or even 40 years old, you know, they, they go away when they're 18 years old and they're, you know, they're down for 30 years. They still have a life ahead of them that they have no preparation for at all. You know, so, um, I, I'm just blown. It blows my mind when I meet those people who they still have hope and belief. You know, they still, want to believe that there's a future for them you know it, 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 it really it can really bring a tear to your eye because you know in a way you just you know you feel humbled to be around them and talk about inspiring i mean they're just amazing people yeah you, you are definitely the eternal optimist um me yeah. no i'm not i'm not at all they are i am i am a jaded I, I, except for this, except for that, you're right, except for this, this I believe in because I've seen it happen enough, you know, but uh, everything else I have no confidence in anything. <laughs> oh, okay, well then let me, let me ask you this then, because I'm assuming that there's got to be some people who are kind of skeptical or cynical um, of some of the things you're saying, and I, I'm kind of curious, are there, say, like any sort of specific jobs that you've been able to fill that you think that might that might surprise the skeptics? Well, you know, there is um, a study just came out from SHRM, S-H-R-M, which is the National uh, Human Resource Trade Organization that every top HR person belongs to. And they have a licensing thing with them and an education thing. Like the AMA is for doctors, SHRM is for the HR world. They just came out with this report that says that 82% of managers and 67% of HR professionals, when it comes to hiring people with records, this, this is what they all, this is what they said, you know, a vast majority of these people said that when it comes to hiring people with records, they, the people that we hire with records, do as well, if not better, than the people who don't have records, for the reasons I gave before. Right. So, so do they make believers out of people? They absolutely do. We typically will start working with a large company, and they're not going to give us every job that they have at their 5,000 locations, you know, around the country. Right. Um you know, they're going to test us first and see what happens because no, this is brand new for them. Mm -hmm. And they'll try it in five locations, maybe. And they figure, all right, what's the worst that can happen? Um, and 
inevitably, they come back to us and they say, we love the people we hired. Can we get more of them just like them? And it's funny to me, it always reminds me of like, if you go out to dinner with a group of people and you order like some appetizers for the table to share. And when you realize, man, these are good, but we didn't order enough. Can we get more just like this? That's how they talk to us about these human beings. We didn't, we, we didn't get enough. Can we get some more just like that? Prepared the same exact way. So, so, um, so they're the heroes again. You know, I mean, they just do a great job. They make us look good. Um, I thought you were going to ask, though, that are there skeptics about me because I have a record? And, you know, um, I, I, um, that I don't know because I suppose there are some people who do feel negatively towards me or don't trust me or whatever, but they never say anything. I, I haven't had a, in, in my work, I haven't had a single person open their mouth and say, listen, I just don't trust working with you and I'm not going to get past that. And, you know, as a result, you know, have a good day. Hasn't happened a sing one time at all. Um, I think people re feel that, you know, I, the, my background um, gives me insights into the work that I do, which it does. And, you know, so I figure I'm doing the only thing I could do because I was doing something else. I'm sure it would, the trust would be a real issue. But because I understand personally the whole experience, you know, uh, and I know how to talk to these folks and I know how to market to them and everything else, you know, that makes me, you know, a little bit more of an expert um, as a result. So, um, but I, you know, I, who knows what goes on in people. When, when someone says no, I don't know really why they're saying no. It could be because I just don't trust you. You know, that's a possibility. I'd be... I'd be naive if I didn't think that could happen. So, uh, but in general, you know, I'll tell people, you know, right up front, I go, listen, just so you know, I myself have a record. And they go, oh, that's good. You know, like, <laughs> it's funny, like, all right, you know what you're talking about, you know, I guess. Exactly. One of the tribe, exactly. So I guess, I guess the, it's domain uh, expertise I have as a result. So it's, it's, it's a very, very funny thing. I would say, and I think from people without records, because there, there is a lot of strong anti-Wall Street sentiment, and, and for good reason. Yep. But the one thing I yep, would point sure. out is you were convicted at a time when, you know, financial, you know, people actually went to prison. <laughs> you know, now we've got this whole too big to fail, pay, oh, a, yeah. pay a small fine. You you committed your crimes back when the DOJ actually punished people. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, I was, I, I was very lucky that I got arrested prior to Bernie Madoff because after Bernie Madoff, they threw the, I know people who got 30 years, you know, for some financial crime. Whereas, you know, if it was before they would have gotten, you know, five years, maybe. So, um, was the, you, you, you didn't know, work for a, too, a, a quote unquote too big to fail bank. Was no, that's was, was, was no, I know, and I will tell you, I mean, talking about being jaded, every person on Wall Street is a crook, <laughs> you know. If that's not an excuse for me or no, anything no, I did, no, I don't believe that at all. Right. I was a crook, but everybody else is as well, you know. Wall Street is built upon if I know something that you don't know. 
you know, then I can use that to my advantage and it's a zero sum game. And how do you know it before I know it if it's not publicly available? Well, I have inside, it's all based on inside information ultimately. You know, that's how analysts and that's how, you know, companies trade based upon that. So it's all a bunch of crooks, you know, making a lot of money, actually creating nothing, you know, at all. All they're doing is, you know, moving money around and taking off a sliver of it. But it, it just happens to be large sums of money they're getting slivers of. Right. So, any event, those were the good old days. <laughs> if you don't mind me, because this is it's probably my, I know you're you're short on time. This is but this is something that's kind of controversial topic. I, I'd like to kind of hear your thought. Um, the the issue of prison labor, because in many cases there's these mm. private companies. They're, they're paying yes. prisoners, you know, less than a dollar an hour. And in some cases, like in, in your area, the it was in the news, with, like with the firefighters, you know, if yes. the firefighters are making 30 something bucks an hour, but there are prisoners right beside them, I think making a little bit over a buck an hour. My, my, my question is, do they, in your experience, do these people at least get the credit essentially when they do go out into the workplace, say you had worked as a firefighter or maybe not that particular profession, but some of them, they're, you know, telemarketing jobs or textile jobs. Do they tend to sort of get the credit for that when they, when they do go out into the workplace? Well, you bring up the firefighters, the last really bitter piece of that story is that in California, the fire companies would not hire people who have a record who in prison were fighting fires at a dollar an hour, like you said, but not because we don't want to pay them the $30. We don't want to pay them because they're ex-cons, but it was good enough while they were in prison to fight the fires and risk their lives. But now on the outside, they're not good enough for us. So that was pretty shameful. Um, you know, there's there's two schools of thought to this whole thing that you're bringing up. You know, on the one hand, um, it, it sounds an awful lot like chain gangs yeah. and slavery and indentured servitude and all kinds of stuff like that, where you're taking advantage of people, and particularly people who don't have any money. In prison, you need to have a little bit of money available to you because there's a commissary where you want to make phone calls and, you know, to stay in touch with your family, you know, and, you know, and needless to say, the prices you pay for the commissary or the phone calls are completely rip-off prices. But you see, you do need a little bit of money. And, you know, so the prison would say, well, not only are, you know, we helping the inmates you know, have a little bit of disposable income, but also working, you know, keeps them out of trouble, keeps their mind busy, time goes faster. And all that's true. Um, you, you definitely want to have a job in prison, not not because you're going to get rich, that's for sure. Um, but, you know, you do have a commissary, and if you can make $30 in a month, you know, you can buy yourself, you know, some Lipton cup of soup or some shit like that, <laughs> you know, when you're sick of eating the disgusting food. Um, so um, it's hard for me as someone who never had that problem because I had friends, you know, I had a few friends who were very generous and my sister was generous. And, you know, so I didn't need to work for the money, but I knew certainly knew people who, who did. So, you know, far be it for me to say, 
you know, you shouldn't be getting this because it mattered to them. But yeah, the, the, the most common job um, that people have that has value when they get out is in food service because typically um, there's, you know, licenses that you can get in food handling that, you know, while it's not the greatest thing, you know, if you want to work at, you know, a fine dining establishment to say, well, I would, you know, I, I dished out beans on the, on the line at the cafeteria in prison, but um, it doesn't hurt to have it. Um, it's better than nothing. And indeed, um, restaurants, food service in general, on the outside is one of those industries that have long been very hospitable to people with records. Because it's just very hard for them to hold on to people, you know, to be a line chef, stand on your le your legs all day, you know, um, in the heat and the crowded little kitchen. It's not a great job, you know, uh, and or to be a busboy or whatever. So they hire a lot of people with records. That's one industry. The one industry that doesn't, much to my shame, because I kind of I'm part of that world is the technology world. You know, these big companies, the Googles and the Facebooks and the Apples and the like, they all claim to be very, you know, caring and humanistic and progressive. But when it comes time to hiring people with records, they're, they're you know, they, they've been just absolutely abysmal in doing it. Um, and every opportunity I have to call them out for it, I do. They go, well... You know, we hire people who are engineers who have to have high skill levels, and, and that's true, certainly, but they have lots and lots of people who do food service or janitorial stuff or whatever, if they really wanted to, to say nothing of, create some kind of program and train some of these people, and let's break the, you know, the cycle and give them a job that, you know, they can actually earn a good living and, and leave poverty and take care of their family and, you know, really make a difference. And if you really care about making a difference, then make a difference. Do what it takes. Don't just talk about it, which is what they do. So um, I open my mouth all the time about that. For good reason. For good reason. I think so. I think so. All right. Well, I, I, I'm going to let you get back to work. Do you have any final thoughts for anyone who's listening, or, and also maybe any, um, you know, anything you want to promote or at least contact or, or whatever? I'll give you the floor. Okay. Well, th thank you so much, and thank you for having me, and thank you to your listeners for listening. I really do appreciate it. Um, you know, it's not just my work, it's not just my job, but, you know, on a very personal level, people who care and who get it you know, uh, really touches my heart and I appreciate it. Um, we never, ever, ever want to not help someone who comes to us looking for help. And we have hundreds and thousands who come to us every month and we really try to help everybody. So if you know someone who, um, could use some help with getting a job that has a record, um, you can very easily go to our website, which is 70 million jobs.com. The number 70 million jobs, J O B S dot com. And you'll see information for contacting us. Um, or it's a job board that someone can search and apply for jobs or, uh, uh receive notifications of when jobs are available where they live. Um, and, um, if you know companies or if you yourself are a company 
that has an interest in hiring people with records, we can help with that for sure. And um, I will promise, I, 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 mean, I will almost promise you that you will end up with incredibly heroic, wonderful people if you give them a chance through us or through any way, other way. Also, there's lots of great nonprofits and community organizations out there. And I'm telling you, if you get involved, you will be shocked at how, how, how emotionally transformed you will be by connecting with people. These are really societies, you know, the dregs, you know, I hate to put it that way, but they understand, you know, really people who really could use a hand and, and they're so incredibly appreciative. And, you know, I, listen, I ask everybody I meet, you know, help me change the world because that's what we're trying to do. So thanks so much for having me again. And thanks a lot for listening. I really appreciate it. I just want to thank you for you know everything that you do. It really is inspiring. And it, I actually thought of it, uh, you know, a similar idea, like what can we do? And then I end up looking up and looking into it. I'm like, Oh my God, this is already exists. So I, I really, I really are you looking for a job? <laughs> is that what you're telling me? You already got a job. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm I'm employed, not very well paid, but I'm employed. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, well, join the crowd. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, no, I I am really uh, thankful for all that you do and also thankful that you for coming, taking the time to come on to the show. Uh, Um, But uh, last thought, I just want to thank everybody who's listening. Again, I guarantee you you probably know somebody who's in a position who could use his help. So please, like I say, support the podcast, share it, subscribe. And that's the, really the best way to support the podcast as well is just to go out there and grab a copy of, for direct support. That is, is just go out and grab a copy of my three book series. It's called Rackets. It's on the legalization of drugs and gambling and the decriminalization of prostitution. Uh, so on that thought, um, until next time. It's a big club and you ain't in it. I am concerned that the size of some of these institutions becomes so large that it does become difficult for us to um, to prosecute. You can have the license. Price is $250,000 plus a monthly payment of 5% of the gross of all four hotels in the store. Corleone.